things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> It's the year 2023. So I never thought I'd hear this. I never thought I'd hear this. But there are women out there in the United States of America. They don't give a damn about independence. They want to be a traditional wife, a trad wife. Ooh, ooh. The Stephen A. Smith Show coming at you right now. What's up, everybody? Good afternoon. Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show right here live on YouTube, as I love to be every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time live, 1 p.m. Pacific. Always appreciate the love that you all continue to show me. I would ask you to keep it coming because, you know, as long as you keep coming, I'm going to keep bringing it. That is the way it goes. As always, we are here in our studios. Thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the Stephen A. Smith Show. As I was talking about when I alluded to my subscribers, it's now over 237,000. It's grown by about 3,500 over the last couple of days or so. Thank you so much for that love and support. Keep it on coming. Be sure to like and subscribe to get notified about all of our new content. Click on the bell to get the most up-to-date notifications, okay? And also, at the end of every show, anytime you've got questions, feel free to put them in the YouTube chat, and I'll get to them at the end of the show. Or, of course, you can simply call my hotline, 646-727. That's 0769. That's 646-SAS-0769. Call, and I'll answer. Um, we got a lot of stuff to get into today. Um, we've got a strike taking place in Hollywood involving SAG-AFTRA members along with the uh, Writers Guild of America. Uh, the collaboration of those two striking is threatening to shut down Hollywood. The strike is official. That is something that we will get into today. We've got some sports items to get into, particularly John Gruden and how he is going after the NFL and how I'm going to tell you right now, um, it's something that the NFL should be worried about. Make no mistake about that. We've got somebody out there with 10 children and counting. Doesn't seem to be letting up. And there's a lot of people that are saying, damn! My response is, there's a lot going on in that household. Whether that's a good or a bad thing is something we'll get into in just a little while. But to me, the story to get into this particular day, to start off this show, is some news that is percolating. And it's involving the quote unquote trad wife, as it's short for traditional wives. Uh, perfectly coiffed here, a pinup dress and a home cooked meal on a dining room table. These images convey what a woman might look like 
being from the 1950s, a traditional housewife. A trad wife, again, short for a traditional wife, uh, is described as a woman who prefers to take a traditional or ultra-traditional role in marriage, including the beliefs that a woman's place is in the home. Um, before I go any further, I want to put on my glasses because I want to make sure I'm not misquoted because I'm reading. This is not me. This is not Stephen A. Smith talking. I'm just reading, okay? Okay, I'm just reading, but I just wanted to put this out there. Um, these women known as trad wives, typically Christian conservatives, are here today and gaining attention on TikTok to the tune of nearly 187 million views. Many of their followers celebrate the lifestyle these women are aiming to showcase, but others worry they are idealizing a time when women enjoyed less autonomy and fewer rights than they have now, especially as we head into a heated election year. Asked, what does it mean to be a trad wife? Not all trad wives are alike, according to S.D. Williams, a trade wife influencer on TikTok. In her eyes, trad wives are homemakers whose priority is cooking, cleaning and being subservient to men. But such submission isn't degrading, she said. It's her choice. Quote, it doesn't mean you're below the man, because if you think about it, it's a compliment. Williams says the man, he needs that woman to be beside him, to motivate him, to be there for him. So what does marriage look like? According to Williams, her husband, an electrician, must approve major purchases she makes. But it's not like she needs to check in with him for a pack of gum or coffee. They have a budget and try to stay within it. Why would I bring this subject up? Why would Stephen A.? Bring this subject up because y'all turn down that noise in my ear, please. It's important that I communicate with the people out there. I, myself, love an independent woman. I was raised by five women. I'm the youngest of six with four older sisters. My brother, God rest his soul, his name was Basil, died in a car accident. He was nine years older than me. He was my big brother. He died in a car accident in 1992. God rest his soul. My four older sisters are still alive and thriving. My mother, God rest her soul, passed away in 2017 after a long bout with cancer. If you read my book, my best-selling book, Straight Shooter, um, you know, um, it was a straight shooter published by Simon and Schuster in print 13, led by Charles Suit, a uh, good man, brother, big time. Um, I have lamented on many, many occasions how I'm old fashioned in certain respects. While I love an absolutely independent woman and believe a woman has the right to do what she wants to do, I'm a traditionalist as a man from the standpoint that I believe that a man should be the provider in his household. I believe that when, when others are hungry, it's because you, you're starving, that you lead, and that you make sure to exhaust every means and measure to ensure that others are taken care of before yourself, especially when it comes to your children. And if you choose to marry a woman, that is your responsibility to take care of her. That has been my position from day one all my life. That doesn't mean I don't want a woman to have a career. It doesn't mean that I want her to, I don't want her to be successful. It doesn't mean that I don't want her to have her money. It doesn't mean any of that. It means that 
I'm the man of the house and it's my responsibility to provide. And she doesn't have that responsibility to provide. But she does have the responsibility to take care of house and home. Now, what does that mean? To some people, it's bills. I'm looking at my boy Jay and Gat and all these, Gaff and all these brothers, and y'all got your own thing. I'm going to tell you what mine is. I'm going to tell you what mine is. Everybody is entitled to their preferences and proclivities. Here's mine. If you can't cook, that's a problem for me. Now, I didn't say you have to cook. I'm not saying you got to cook. I'm not saying you got to cook three days a week, five days a week, every day of the week. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you can't cook, if you choose not to cook most times, sure. But if I got to depend on me to cook, that's about two strikes, two and a half strikes against you. Because, see, I'm going to pay the bills. And I'm going to be tired. So when I get home, if I got to make my own sandwich or cook my own meals, so cool, that's fine. But I don't need to be married. Hell, I don't even need to have a girlfriend. What the hell I need that for? If I got to cook for myself every day, all day. Now, that's just my preference. That's just my preference. Other people have other preferences. I know a lot of a lot of the fellas, they don't want to hear that stuff about it's your responsibility to take care of the house at home. We going Dutch. That's ridiculous to me. Now, if you can't afford it, that's different. But you exhaust every means and measure to take care of your woman and damn sure to take care of your family. That is your responsibility. That is your responsibility. And I think we get it confused in this day and age because what happens is you've got folks out there and they talk about, well, we, why should a woman be at home slaving in the kitchen and taking care of house and home and leaving him to accept all the responsibilities? I want to do that. There's no problem with that. Not this way. Stephen A. ain't got no problems with you on that point. I'm good with that. I love the world that we're living in. I love the independence. I think women are brilliant. I was raised by five brilliant women. Five strong black women that ain't backing down or bowing down to anybody. But all of them take care of house and home while doing so. All of them. There are, and that's where this conversation gets a bit dicey with the quote unquote trad wives as in traditional wives, because everybody's looking at it in tra the traditional uh, uh, family and they're going back to the 1950s because they're saying we're trying to rewind the clock and take us back into a time where women didn't have the autonomy and the freedom that they have right now. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you should have those freedoms and you should have that level of autonomy. I'm just saying that while you have those things, if you have a good man who understands and embraces the responsibility that comes with having you as his woman, you should have no problem cooking the brother a meal from time to time. Just like he should have no problem paying the bills. And he should have no problem taking the pressure off of you. And he should have no problem in making sure that he provides for you in such a way that gives you the freedom to do those things that he may want. As well as doing the things you may want. See where we got to really get into it. 
And I can't say the name of love, doctor, but that's what I think about because Martin Lawrence is one of my all-time favorite comedians and one of the greatest episodes that I've ever seen is when he was playing the love doctor in one episode when Tam, Tommy and, and Pam hooked up to one another. And he was like, now get on out of here. I'm the love doctor. Every piece of advice he gave it. I thought it was one of the most hilarious episodes I've ever seen in the history of comedy. It was ecstatic. You understand what I'm saying? It was really, really funny. But I can't take the name of the love doctor, so I'm just going to be Stephen A. And I'm going to tell you this. All of this stuff and all of this conversation to some ladies out there, not all, not most, but some ladies out there, it's your fault. Don't look at the fellas. It's your fault. See, we live in an age right now. Think about what we're dealing with. We've got women who are obviously independent, highly successful, and worthy of all the praise that they get, and, and in some cases making more money than men. So they're the breadwinners. We've got folks from the gay community, the LGBTQ plus, was it IA? Is it A? IA? It's IA, right? Yeah, sorry. Don't know it by heart all the time. Um, they have a preference not to have a man at all. And then now we're living in an age where some men think they're women. Or say they're women, I'm sorry. They say they're women, they're not really a man. And some women believe they're men. So when you take all of those things into consideration, where does that leave a dude? A heterosexual dude, born that way, believes he's that way. DNA says he's that way. He embraces everything about manhood. Where does that leave him? Because everywhere you turn, tradition is going out of the window in the eyes of some people, which is why the trad wives have come along and said, hello, we still exist. There's some of us that don't mind playing this role. Forced roles is, on, are, is entirely different than roles consensually embraced, which brings us to the real question. What is a relationship? You know what a relationship is? Consensual agreement between both parties. Any man that tries to force a woman to be something that she doesn't want to be to hell with him, he's wrong. But vice versa as well. I'm the kind of person that I am not offended when a woman is standing by her car door and, and is waiting for me to open it. Now, to me, 99% of the time, I'm going to do it. But that 1% of the time when you piss me off or when we're in a real big rush and every second counts, I expect you to be able to open the door for yourself. It's rare, but you should be able to open the door for yourself. But 99% of the time, be that gentleman. Show that decorum, that behavior. When you take her out to dinner, if you can afford it, pay for it. Don't look for Dutch. You're taking her out. That's how she deserves to be treated. This is what you're supposed to do. That's the way it goes. Most women we encounter fully accept that. Man takes you out, he's paying. Takes you out to the movies, takes you out to dinner, takes you on vacation, whatever, he's paying. Well, if you have the right to expect that, why can't he expect 
some traditional roles. Fair is fair. It's consensual. Nothing's forced. Nobody's compelled. Everybody understands their role. That's what the traditional wives, the trad wives are saying. And I'm saying if that's all they mean and they're not talking about something that's supposed to be forced and they're not talking about how this is what you're supposed to be in society. They're just saying, excuse me, for those who choose to play that role, there's nothing wrong with it. If that's all they're saying. I challenge a woman to argue with that point. But amongst each other's. Men are chilling. We understand because let me tell y'all a little secret, ladies. Most men are not going to argue with you about what you don't want to be. If they have a preference and you choose not to be that preference, they're going to go elsewhere. Period. Just like you'd go elsewhere if he doesn't want to play whatever role you want him to play, whatever that role may be. Period. But the only reason I read, I led with the story is because I found it very, very interesting that trad wives are resonating on TikTok in the tune of 187 million views. These are women. This is not men. These are women saying, yo, it's too much of this other stuff out there. Let us remind you of what we believe a woman should be to her man. I don't think there's anything to complain about. If you a dude, this is, this is music to your ears. Simply because it's an age old option, but an option nevertheless. Some men may embrace it. Some men may not. But the point is, is women Essentially calling out other women. You can't call that misogyny. You can't call that anything else either. But a debate amongst yourselves. Enjoy. I'll be watching. Moving on. On a serious note, there is a strike that is taking place in Hollywood as we speak. 160,000 actors are not working right now. Just to make sure we have all our facts in order. The deadline between the Screen Actors Guild and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, SAG-AFTRA, and the WGA to be exact, to secure a new contract passed on July 12th with no agreement. All actors and actresses, of course, are now on strike. The ripple effects were immediately felt with actors Kaylian Murphy, Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh leaving the red carpet of their summer blockbuster Phil Oppenheimer to prepare for the picket line. The work stoppage, along with the ongoing screenwriter strike with the Writers Guild of America, will effectively grind television and film productions across the world to a halt. Now, for the first time in over six decades, Hollywood is facing simultaneous strikes by the two unions that represent actors and screenwriters, leading to enormous ramifications for the state of Hollywood. Not that it's a state, but you know what I'm saying. 
SAG represents about 160 actors, broadcast journalists, announcers, hosts, stunt performers, and other media professionals. Of the 65,000 SAG members who cast a ballot, about 98% voted to authorize union leaders to call for a strike if no deal was reached by the July 12 deadline. The SAG members are fighting for better pay and working conditions as they face a labor landscape transformed by streaming and threats by artificial intelligence. Due to the streaming services, actors are facing declining residuals and wages that haven't kept up with inflation. They can no longer rely on royalty payments that are contingent on the amount of a show's reruns. Concerns over the unregulated use of AI that's artificial intelligence, which may produce an actor's likeness or performance, has also been a point of contention. Fan Drescher, president of SAG-AFTRA, said in the statement, the studio management's offer was insulting and disrespectful. That's what she said. During the strike, SAG-AFTRA members cannot do the following. They can't go on tours. They can't make personal appearances, can't do interviews, can't do conventions, can't do fan exposés. Film festivals, panels, premieres, award shows, podcast appearances, social media, nothing. It's affecting everyone. Now there are concerns that with actors joining the writers on strike, the shutdowns will stretch through the summer and perhaps even persist through the end of the year. With both actors and writers walking offset, every company's will likely be forced to shut down production on their ongoing and future projects. That means everyone who works on a show or film, wardrobe, makeup, electricians, Gophers, set dresses, craft services, transportation, etc. The economic repercussions for everyone, not just actors, that makes a living in entertainment will be affected. This is serious business. Let me say this. Doesn't affect my show on ESPN. Um, but I support the writers. I support the unions in this regard. Because when I saw Indiana Jones the other day and they basically used artificial intelligence to implement and insert a 35-year-old Harrison Ford into the movies and people were loving it, think about what that means potentially. You've got actors out there who may not be working and their imagery can be artificial, you know, be duplicated and mimicked by artificial intelligence to use it while they're not even there. Think about if that is successful and that's something that continues to move forward. Think about what that's going to do to the future of the industry in terms of making sure that actors remain gainfully employed. That's very serious. And that's a very worthy cause that they're fighting. And I don't deny that. I also don't deny that the little guy needs to be taken care of and they're vastly underpaid. I don't know the specifications in regards to the offer that has been given and turned down. We only heard them say that it was insulted and disrespectful. We get that. But usually during negotiations, you hear that kind of verbiage. You're talking to listening rather to somebody that has covered collective bargaining negotiations for the past 30 years. So it's not foreign to me to hear the words insulting and disrespectful when it comes to people sitting across from the negotiating table. I've heard worse. This is not good when you consider the fact that this is the first strike since 1960 where both the unions are, 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 are basically collaborating together. What I will say is this. I'm not going to sit up here and completely denigrate the companies in Hollywood, no matter who they are, because I will say this. It is universally recognized that while there are a lot of people who are underpaid and they should be serviced and they should be taken care of and they should be protected, 
There are a few people who are vastly overpaid and have been overpaid for years for the jobs that they put forth and execute. Somewhere along the way, there's got to be a happy medium. And when we consider the times that we just finished enduring with the pandemic and how it's ravaged the music industry, I'm sorry, the movie industry, the theater industry, et cetera, television, when we see and we take into account the advent and the proliferation of reality TV shows over the years because of a strike that took years ago, took place years ago and how that facilitated the proliferation of reality TV shows. What do you think is going to happen this time? Because something's got to go on the air. So scripted television may, sell, may suffer, but unscripted content may not. And reality TV falls under that category. At least in a lot of people's eyes. Folks going to show up. And the company's going to put stuff on the air. And you're going to give others outside of scripted content, an opportunity to gain additional opportunities and grow. I'm not saying this to say that SAG-AFTRA or WGA, the Writers Guild of America, are at fault. I don't know enough details to say that. I'm simply saying that when the studios are saying we need more money, and we don't need to commit to spending but so much. And they're committed to making sure that that's exactly what they're going to do. You're going to need to pay attention to that. Disney, 7,000 cuts. Amazon, 11,000. Facebook, 10, 11,000. Everywhere you look throughout corporate America, cuts are being made. Companies are not playing. And don't think for one second that this couldn't have a potential effect on the election either. Because when you have companies that are talking about losing money and you have people that are on strike and you have businesses depleting their funds or running low on it. You're going to think about who's in the White House next time as well. And that's going to determine who you're going to pick. To some degree. Got to pay attention to all of that and recognize the ripple effect and understand that at some point in time, you got to get back to the negotiating table and do business. You got to negotiate. You got to keep things churning because if it stops and it goes in a different direction and it turns out to be profitable, AI ain't going to be your only problem. What will also be your problem is reality TV. That's just the reality of the situation. There is no way around it. So again, I support the writers. I support the unions because obviously they're the little guy in the grand scheme of things. Going up against the big guy, you usually lose. But the big guys are saying... The pandemic ravaged us. And not only did the pandemic ravage us. But you also have a lot of stuff that's not succeeding. At the box office. And the advent of artificial intelligence gives us a new way to make additional money without having the same amount of expenditures. This is why when you're in school, youngsters out there. 
no matter what field you want to major in, make sure you minor in business. I wish I had. I wish I had known the things years ago that I know now. It would have helped me avoid making an awful lot of mistakes that I made when I was younger. I hope you're listening. Because you need to. More to Stephen A. Smith show coming your way in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Welcome back to the Stephen A. Smith show right here. On YouTube, where I love to come at you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Pacific, live over these YouTube uh, digital stratosphere, of course. Be sure to like and subscribe to get notified about all of our new content here on the Stephen A. Smith Show. Click on the bell to get the most up-to-date notifications. And again, thank you all for your support. Just looking at my numbers here, I am at, wow, 237,650 plus subscribers, growing and growing and growing. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Let me transition to my next story. Um, John Gruden, remember him? Former NFL head coach, Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers succeeded uh, Tony Dungy in 2002, won the Super Bowl. Warren Sapp was on his team. Keyshawn Johnson was on his team, uh, along with various others, of course. Um, So that same John Gruden was later an analyst for Monday Night Football for ESPN before becoming a uh, head coach for the then Oakland Raiders who ultimately moved to Las Vegas. If you will recall, the Wall Street Journal reported in October 2021 that Gruden used a racist term to describe NFL union chief DeMora Smith, who is black, Gruden then resigned with $100 million left on his contract um, the following day, shortly after the New York Times revealed additional offensive emails, some of which dated back more than a decade. Additionally, Gruden also used a homophobic term, the F word, to describe NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell in another message. The messages were sent from 2011 to 2018 by Gruden to several people, including former Washington Redskins, then Washington Redskins, now the Washington Commanders, uh, executive Bruce Allen, while Gruden was an announcer at ESPN. According to Raiders owner Mark Davis, the 2021 email leak appeared to him to be the NFL's effort to insulate Commanders owner Daniel Snyder from ongoing sexual harassment allegations that were plaguing the organization. Sources told ESPN that Snyder was hoping to deflect blame over sexual harassment allegations against himself and the team onto Allen by leaking the emails. Furthermore, ESPN reports Snyder was hoping to gain favor with Goodell by giving him ammunition against Gruden one of his longtime critics. Snyder, who is awaiting league approval on his $6 billion sale of the commanders to Josh Harris, has also been accused of leaking the emails to the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. Of course, Commissioner Roger Goodell through the NFL office, NFL spokesman Brian McCarthy, repeated the league's denial that Goodell had any involvement in the leak, saying, quote, neither neither the NFL nor the commissioner leaked Coach Gruden's offensive emails. End quote. I'm going to tell you this. First of all, I'm a fan of Roger Goodell's. I think he takes a lot of heat as the commissioner for owners and their actions. He's a big boy. He can handle it. I will say this, however. 
This is not an open and shut case in favor of the NFL. I don't give a damn what anybody says. Listen to the logic for this, y'all. How in the hell does emails take place from 2011 to 2018 and John Gruden is the one that ended up having to resign? Now, Daniel Snyder, remember, he's been forced to surrender ownership. First of all, the nation's capital wants nothing to do with him. Okay? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they consider him COVID-19. I mean, that's how bad they feel about Daniel Snyder. They think he's that kind of virus. They don't want anything to do with him. All right? And obviously, he's been gone. You've heard about him being in London and other different places, any place but the United States, because at this particular moment in time, he hasn't been able to show his face, according to numerous reports anyway. But to me, if John Gruden, who was working for ESPN at the time doing Monday Night Football before he ultimately became the head coach for the Oakland Raiders, who ultimately became the Las Vegas Raiders, he's sending these emails to friends like Bruce Allen and others. All of a sudden, this comes out. Years and years later, and he was the only one who fell by the wayside. And he had to surrender a one hundred million dollar contract. The bottom line is, how the hell did those emails get out? Now, if it was Snyder. Then Commissioner Goodell and the NFL have nothing to worry about. But if John Gruden has any evidence whatsoever that those emails were leaked by somebody other than Daniel Snyder, somebody owes John Gruden some money. And the reason why I don't have a problem with his suit is that essentially what he's trying to do is recoup the money he was owed. Mark Davis was not thinking about firing John Gruden. He was on no hot seat. John Gruden was going to be the coach for the, for the Raiders for years to come. Raider Nation loves John Gruden. So he wasn't losing that job. He was owed $100 million. And the reason why, again, I'm not supporting him by any stretch of the imagination. Okay? It's not to be supported. He shouldn't have done what he's done. He's got to pay a price. But the fact of the matter is, $100 million, and he walks away with nothing, and he can never get a job in the NFL career. John Gruden's career in the NFL is over. And if he wanted to coach on a collegiate level in college football, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be unfair or, or, or make this into a race thing. But ladies and gentlemen, at least 65 to 70 percent of the college football players are black. Some of them in this day and age are gay. We can act like we don't know that, but it's true. Whose home you walking into? After. Getting caught with these emails. I'd be hard pressed to believe that a college football program is going to want John Gruden, a brilliant football mind, to come into their homes, to go into the homes of kids recruiting children for their program. They're not going to believe that parents are going to be receptive to that. Whether that's true or not remains to be seen because he's a hell of a coach and a hell of a football mind. And if he walks into your home and says he can make your son into a pro football player, you're going to believe him. As somebody who's spoken to John Gruden in the past. I don't hate him. I don't excoriate him. I don't wish for him to be unemployed for the rest of his life. He made a fatal mistake. 
to his career, no doubt about it. But I believe in second chances. And me personally, I wouldn't mind seeing John Gruden on a football sideline again at some point in his life. But I don't think it's going to happen. Some people think I'm wrong because they say Stephen A., somebody in the SEC will hire him. That's what they say. I don't know that to be true, but I'm just telling you. But I'm just of the mindset, yo, I can't see a college football program hiring him. And there is no way in hell an NFL franchise is going to hire him. You can end that. Ain't no, ain't no, owner, no owner is going to bring John Gruden back into the NFL. So for all intent and purposes, his career is over. And that's why I can understand why he would sue. He's got to get paid somehow. He's been associated with football all his life. It's all he knows. And he knows it better than most. And this, although it's of his own volition, this egregious mistake he made, and I don't know if we could call it a mistake because it went on from 2011 to 2018 according to the emails, it is a legitimate question to find out how the hell his emails got exposed. Where's everybody else's? That is a legitimate question that requires a legitimate answer. I can't see how the NFL and everybody associated with it is going to get away with him getting nothing. Because... His career has been eviscerated. Do y'all understand that what happened to him is so bad that he can't even get a job in a booth talking about football? A network can't hire him. An NFL team can't hire him. A college football program would be hard-pressed to hire him. How's he going to earn a living? This is all he knows. So I hope for the NFL's sake that they're telling the truth and they had nothing to do with this. I don't know, but I hope they're telling the truth. Because even if it wasn't Goodell, but it was somebody from the NFL office, the NFL is still culpable. Because he was owed $100 million. $100 million. If there's something that's worth fighting for, it's $100 million. Back with more to Stephen A. Smith Show in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Welcome back to the Stephen A. Smith Show right here. On YouTube, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for supporting the show as always. Be sure to like and subscribe to get notified about all of our new content. Click on the bell to get to the most get the most up-to-date notifications, please. We'd really, really appreciate it. I love the fact that I see my subscribers growing by the thousands every single day. Thank you so much for the support. Before I get to the calls, um, and you know the number, um, before I get to the calls. It was something funny that was going on. Uh, Philip Rivers, former star quarterback for the San Diego Chargers before his last year in Indianapolis. Okay, that Philip Rivers 
in some people's eyes, a future Hall of Fame quarterback. I like him. He was a great quarterback, but never got to, but never won a Super Bowl. Got the one Super Bowl, never won a Super Bowl. Um, don't know if I can give him that amount of love in terms of Hall of Fame status when you never even uh, won a championship. But then again, Dan Marino did that. But Dan Marino, Philip Rivers was a lot of things, but he was no Dan Marino. Okay, so let's get that out the way first. Here's why he's in the news today. And I was trying to find this story. Um, Philip Rivers is all fired up because he and his wife, Tiffany Rivers, are welcoming their 10th child. 10! That's double digits. It's a lot of production right there. It's a lot of production. I think people are looking at this all wrong. First of all, congratulations to Philip Rivers and his wonderful wife, Tiffany. But I want to take a moment to express to y'all why you should be envious. Why Tiffany Rivers is that woman. Now, Philip Rivers, by all accounts, is a very good man. High integrity, clearly a family man. Um, I've met him a couple of times in my life, just a couple of times. Really incredibly nice guy. Um, fiery on the sideline, the whole bit. High character individual. I got to tell y'all this. I think everybody's missing the storyline here. Tiffany Rivers has a man that clearly wants her badly. Ten children. Ten. Tiffany Rivers is that lady. She's something special. People looking at it all wrong. Oh, my God. How many children could you have? I don't understand. First of all, you're listening to the youngest of six. And my mother was drop dead gorgeous. I mean, <laughs> why you think I look good? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, why you think I look good? I ain't getting it from my father. I got it from her. I'm only kidding. My father was kind of handsome himself, but my mother was that my mother was that woman. See younger photos of my mother, you know, registered nurse. Now, my father was one of those dudes that got more attractive as he got older. But when my father was like in his teens, when he first hooked up with my mother. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to lie to you. My, my father was an ugly dude. My father was an ugly dude. He was not attractive. Pops was kind of ugly. I was like, how the hell he get her? How the hell he get her? Damn. Because my mother was fine. Okay. And over the years, you know, they had six kids. Now, my mother had six kids in 10 years. My older sister, Linda, and me, the youngest, are 10 years apart. Okay? But my mother wasn't Tiffany Rivers. Ten children in this day and age. Ladies and gentlemen, that man, Philip Rivers, is on his 10th child and fired up. Now, I don't give a damn how much of a family man you are. You ain't fired up unless you want your woman. You ain't just fired up for them kids. You fired up over making them. You feel me? I know you do. Tiffany Rivers. 
You. You're very good, you. You are very good. You're very good, you. That's me imitating Robert De Niro and analyze this and then analyze that. She is. Ladies, I ain't talking about the 10 kids. Take notes for the 10 kids. Forget that part. Take notes over the fact that after nine kids, eight, seven, six, or should I go the other way? Six, seven, eight, nine. He still wanted a 10th. That means she's a phenomenal mother. She's a phenomenal wife. And not to get too explicit. But clearly she's a phenomenal lover to her husband. Because that brother is happy. You look at that face on Philip Rivers. Y'all put that up again. Look at the face on Philip Rivers. Look at this face on Philip Rivers right there. Look at him. This man, not that one. That's on a football field. There you go. Stop right there. Stop right there. That man right there. Look at how happy that man look. Look at that man. Look, look how happy he looks. My brother. A role model to so many of us. Way to go, y'all. Way to go. Let's get to the callers, please. Let's get to the callers. Who we got? Yo, Stephen A., I'm going to keep it short because I know you've get, been getting mad at people. Yes. So I just wanted to ask you, my name is Damon. You're already too long. Ivy, and I'm from Los Angeles, California. I want to know, how come you haven't responded to Devin Haney on July 1st? He tweeted out, F you, Stephen A., like I want to know, usually, usually, to usually to will respond to something like that. You have any? Shut up! Shut up! Cut him off! 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 First of all, don't ever call the show again. I don't like your ass already because you lied. I'm going to keep it short because I know how you get irritated over. So first of all, you spent 20 seconds doing that. Then you spent an extra minute with question. Don't call back because I don't like calls that damn long. Number one. Number two. I didn't see that Devin Haney said F you. I would have responded. I never knew that. No one ever told me. I didn't know that Devin Haney said that about me, but there's only one reason he could have said that. Because I thought that the fight was a draw between him and Vitaly Lomachenko. Devin Haney, I'm sorry that you cussing at me like that, my brother. I met you. Got a lot of respect for you. You got mad skills. I think you're a hell of a boxer and a hell of a gifted artist and a champion. But that particular fight, I did not believe you won convincingly enough. I thought that the smaller guy, Lomachenko, was walking you down. And I thought he was getting you just as much as you were getting him. I wouldn't say that you lost the fight, but I didn't think you won the fight. I would have been satisfied with the draw because it was that close. If you find that to be disrespectful, my brother, I'm sorry you feel that way. I respect you. I like you a lot. I think you're a good dude. Um, I think that you're a hell of a gifted fighter. But since you want to say F you, let me also say that you're going to say that a few more times. I don't know if you'd beat Tiafimo Lopez. 
I don't know if you'd beat Javante Davis. As a matter of fact, I think Javante Davis might catch you. I think that you're just as gifted of a boxer as he is. I don't know if you have his chin. I'm not rooting against you. I just don't know. But I think those two right there would be a problem for you. Period. You handed your business against Cambosis. No doubt about that. And obviously you're a champion. You better than most. But I think Javante Davis would clip you. And I think Tiafimo Lopez would have the opportunity to, if he stopped spending so much time listening to his dad and showboating and he threw more punches. I like Tiafimo Lopez. I think he's no joke. I just think his activity in the ring should be a bit more. And Shakur Stevenson wants you. He's coming. Now, I don't know if he'd beat you, but I will tell you this. Everyone that knows boxing says he would be a problem for you. And they think he can beat you. So you're going to say F them too? Or you're just going to go in the ring and show us? It's not like we're rooting against you, bro. I know I'm not. I like you. That wasn't necessary. But it is what it is. I'm a big boy. I can take it. Next caller. What's up? What's up, Steven? Hi. My name is Angela, and I'm actually calling from Cancun, Mexico Come right now. Start. But my Come question for you is, yeah. if there was one thing that you could change about the world to make it a better place, a better world, what is something that you would change and why? And that's my question. Thank you. I appreciate that call, Angela, and I appreciate that question. If there's one thing in the world that I would change is the existence of racism of any sort. At the end of the day, treat all of God's creatures like they're God's creatures, particularly human beings, of course. I wish there was no racism. I wish there was no misogynism. I wish there was no xenophobia. I wish there was no homophobia. I wish there was no transphobia. I wish that we focused on equality. I often tell white folks in America, because that is the power structure in this country. They still make up 58.9% of the population. They still have the most powerful positions in the world. I often tell white folks this. You want to eradicate the problems that exist between you and other communities, treat white people the same way you treat them. Like, for example, when we had some police officers, by the way, all of whom were not white, and they were shooting on on black men, as egregious and uncalled for and wrong and criminal as that was, it would have been a entirely different reaction if we saw the same thing happen in the whites, too. When a white man is in Oklahoma City running or driving away in a speed chase away from the cops and shooting out of his window at the cops. But he somehow gets arrested, not shot. When Dylan Roof goes into a church in South Carolina and kills nine people who are worshiping. And not only do you arrest him instead of shoot him, but you stop him at Burger King, a Burger King on the way to jail to get him a burger because he's hungry. But unarmed black men were getting shot. That's a problem. And that points to racism. Whereas if 
It had happened to white folks just the way it happened to black folks. And that stuff had been chronicled. Then it would have been citizens against law enforcement as opposed to black versus white. The same principle applies in every walk of life, including corporate America. If you treat people equally, whether it's good or bad, problems are easily identified. Less of a position to be argumented and debated and in a better position to be resolved. When you focus on equality. That's why I say racism. Because even though that's black and white and the other things aren't necessarily black or white, racism is the foundation of it all. It breeds from that because once racism was prevalent in the mind's eye of folks in this country and throughout this world, people started saying, "Okay, what about our issues, which is where the other issues came forward? Let's do what we can to negate that. And that will help make the world a better place. Last caller, what you got? Stephen A. This is yes. Nick Bassett in Baltimore. Yes. As a graduate from Morgan State University. So, okay. I have so much pride in my HBCU, HBCU and I know you do that. as well. Yeah. One quick question I have for you. Who threw the best fraternity parties? I know you're a member of the Mega Sci-Fi fraternity, Big Q Dogs. So let me know who threw the best parties and why. Peace. I can't say. I can't say who threw the best parties, you know, um, of the frats. I can't. First of all, I'm never uh, mega sci-fi all day, all day, root dog, no doubt. On certain campuses, it was the Q's. On certain campuses, it was the Kappas. Sometimes it could be the Sigmas. That's what I could tell you. Okay, it depends. Me personally, I never paid attention to who was throwing the parties. I always paid attention to where. For example, you can go to a party at my alma mater, Winston-Salem State. It was pretty nice. It wasn't Bennett. Bennett was an all-girls college, right in Greensboro. When you went to Bennett, the number of fine honeys outnumbered the ones that went to Salem State by at least five to one. When you went to A&T, the numbers were a bit more prolific. You went down to Spelman, yeah, but the problem with that is Morehouse right next door. They were all Spelman, all ladies, Morehouse, all men. And so, you know, it was going to be even. The numbers didn't necessarily work in your favor. So I'm just telling you that. To me, it wasn't about the fraternities. It was about who had the most honeys at the parties. And whoever had the most had the best parties. And depending on where you were, which state you were in, determined who had the most. It's really that simple. It really, really is. They could tell you otherwise, but they lying. When it came to the fellas, we didn't say Omega Sci-Fi, Kappa, Sigmas. We didn't do that. We asked one question and one question only. Where was the party 
with the most honeys. That's what we asked. And that's all we cared about. I'm sure as things and times have evolved, they remain the same. I'm willing to bet my check in the year 2023. Fellas are still asking that question. Where are the honeys? Case closed. That's it. I'm out. About to head on vacation for about a week, but I'll still have some shows that I've already taped for you to view right here on this channel, The Stephen A. Smith Show. Appreciate the love and support. Keep it coming. The subscribers keep growing. As long as he keeps growing, I'm going to keep coming. Okay? Remember to subscribe. Click on that button, on that bell, and so you'll be alerted to whenever we have new content coming our way. To everybody, be sure to like and subscribe to get notified about all of our new content. Click on the bell to get the most up-to-date notifications. That's the official reading of it all, all right? Got to get on out of here. But until next time, peace and love, everybody. Enjoy your weekend. And I'll see you in a few days. I'm out. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.